Greetings, friends and fellow citizens and fellow patriots, and happy October to you. As you can see, the leaves are turning here in Northeast Ohio, and um, you know we're transitioning, you know, into the into the fall, which is a, a beautiful time of year in this part of the country. I hope that it's beautiful where you are and that you're doing well. I appreciate you. Uh, tuning into this podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski. I'm the president of the We the People Convention, and I'm the host of this weekly news and opinion podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, if you've uh, if tuned in for the first time, and I know we have many first-time uh, watchers, uh, welcome to you. What you will find is that this uh, podcast is really uh, intended to help you, uh, all of us, protect and defend our freedom, liberty, and prosperity. That's really, you know, what we do here. And what I try to do for you each week uh, is just look at what happened politically, economically, socially in our country that affects you and your family directly. Get rid of the other noise and nonsense. Get rid of the propaganda and focus on those items and then Try to put them in perspective, try to help you better understand them. And then most importantly, we ask you to take action because you can't be free if you won't defend your freedom. It's just that simple. And no one's going to defend our freedom as we're seeing very clearly. No one will defend our freedom if we won't defend our freedom for ourselves. So that's really what this podcast is about. And uh, I hope you'll, uh, you know, you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll share it with others. You can watch it. If you go to wethepeopleconvention.org, right on the front page, there's a, you know, that yellow button uh, that says podcast, and it'll tell you how to watch it on Roku TV, Amazon Fire TV, on iTunes, you can listen to it. You can watch it on Rumble. Um, you know, that's, that's how we, you know, get our message out. And we need you to share this uh, information because folks, it's just getting impossible to find the truth. Uh, I mean, it, it just, it's unbelievable. We are living in a sea of lies. But the fact is society, a civil society, a, a, a society you and I want to live in cannot exist in a world of lies. We have to stand for truth. And you have to believe that there is truth. There is no such thing as relative truth, right? You can't speak your truth and I speak my truth. That's bull crap, okay? When you say that, you're twisting words. Because if you speak your truth, it's not truth, it's your opinion. And if I speak my truth, it's not truth, it's my opinion. And then we can argue and decide which of our opinions is actually right based on data, based on evidence, based on testing. That's what's wrong with our country today because they want to lie to you by saying you all can speak your truth, okay, because they don't want you to be able to speak your opinion. They want to censor you. So we believe in truth. It's critical. You can, I cannot lie to you. If I lie to you, you will never watch this podcast again. I do not lie to my wife. I do not lie to my kids. I do not lie to my employees. I do not apply to my customers. You don't lie to people at your church. You don't lie to your neighbors. You can't. Okay? They're the liars. And you're going to see, you know, just unbelievable lies here, you know, in the show today. But we must call out all liars and say to them, stop lying. 
Stop lying because we can't survive in a sea of lies. So for those of you who've been watching the podcast regularly, you know that we've been opening the show while remembering the political prisoners being held in Washington, D.C. by the Biden regime and the corrupt FBI and DOJ. Uh, we've been writing to them, and you can do so if you go to patriotmailproject.com, patriotmailproject.com, and uh, you will find the names of the people who are being held, uh, and, and you have to have their prisoner number and the address to send them letters. We tried sending them books. They won't let us send them books, but the letters seem to be getting through and we are getting letters back and they're, they're just devastating, heartfelt, amazing letters. Okay. And we're trying to get those out as much as we can. We'll be posting more on our website and things of that nature. But what we want to do right now is just take a moment and say a prayer for them to ask God to give them strength and courage to help see them through this and to give their families. Many of these people have, you know, young children or grandchildren, uh, you know, that are just without their, you know, their father or their mother or their uncle or brothers or whatever grandparents for nine months now, nine months. This is a disgrace to our nation. This is a human rights violation that's equivalent, in my opinion, to what we did with the Japanese in World War II, the Japanese Americans in World War II. This is heinous. This is horrible. So let's say a prayer right now for those who are still incarcerated unjustly uh, in Washington, D.C. All right. Now, I will tell you that so many of them their, their letters back to us are very, uh, hopeful. They, they, they sing the national anthem. They, they do the Pledge of Allegiance. Many of their letters have flags drawn on them. These are patriots. And, and if you don't believe, you know, that these are political prisoners, just go to wethepeopleconvention.org, uh, click on the little eyeglass and search on, you know, prisoners or January 6th, and you'll see the UN Human Rights Commission case that Look Ahead America has presented that outlines how every one of these prisoners are having their human rights violated and their constitutional rights violated. And it's because their cases are falling apart and, and it's, it's just astonishing. So, you know, this week there's, there was more things that happened. There was video released, uh, that a judge said, Hey, you know, uh, we want to see some video because there's 14,000 hours of video that hasn't been released. Why hasn't it been released? I'm going to show you why in the next couple minutes here. But, but the point is, is that a judge just on Friday who gave a, a, a woman probation, okay, home probation for three months called out the, uh, the DOJ and the FBI for not charging the prisoner, the, uh, rioters from Black Lives Matter and, uh, and, uh, and Antifa during the summer as aggressively as they've charged these patriots. So that's a big step. Now that judge was appointed by Trump. Big surprise, right? But at least it's starting to happen. But more is starting to happen. And I want to cover that before we get to some of the political news. The big story this week was the New York Times published an article that basically blows up the whole idea of an insurrection, okay? The New York Times article 
uh, you know, was leaked, right, by the FBI and the DOJ. This is what you got to understand. The New York Times was leaked this for a reason, to show that the January 6th events were not pre-planned and that FBI informants were in the crowd and entered the Capitol. Watch the video, which I'm going to show you in a second, to find out why they that article was planted in the Times by the swamp. Okay, and here's what, just a couple things that were in the article in the Times. But the statement from the informant appears to counter the government's assertion that the Proud Boys organization uh, organized for an offensive assault on the Capitol intended to stop the peaceful transmission from Mr. Trump to Mr. Biden. On the eve of the attack, the records show the informant said that the group had no plans to engage in violence the next day except to defend itself from potential assaults from leftist activists. A narrative Proud Boys have often used to excuse their own violent behavior. Bullcrap. Okay. Then during an interview in April, the informant again told his handlers that Proud Boys leaders gave explicit orders to maintain a defensive posture on January 6th. At another point in the interview, he said that he never heard any discussion that day about stopping the electoral process. Now, this is in the New York Times. Okay. Then the Times went on to say the record says that the informant entered the Capitol. The FBI informant went into the Capitol after debating whether to do so with his compatriots. He then told his handlers, according to records, that after police officers informed him that someone, possibly pro-Trump writer Ashley Babbitt, had been shot inside the building, he left through a window. The record says that he hurt no one and broke nothing. Okay? Why did they plant this story? Why did they plant this story? Well, your Revolver News was the first ones to come out and talk about the fact that the FBI had informants in the crowd. They knew about everything that was going on, and they didn't stop it intentionally. So look at this you know, uh, story from Tucker Carlson this week. It'll explain a lot. Here's a short video. It just published a report vindicating what we said months ago. FBI operatives were deeply involved in the events of January 6th, the white supremacist QAnon insurrection, remember? Citing, quote, confidential records, the newspaper reported that, quote, the records suggest that federal law enforcement had a far greater visibility into the assault on the Capitol, even as it was taking place, than was previously known. The paper reported that an FBI handler was texting a member of the so-called Proud Boys, they're America's greatest threat, at the Capitol complex. So we called this, and we called it because Revolver.News originally broke it. Darren Beatty runs Revolver.News. He broke this story. He joins us now. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. So before we get to the question of why the New York Times is finally verifying what you reported months ago, and I think they denounced you as a conspiracy theorist for doing so, <laughs> tell us what you think, since you have credibility on this, what the scope of the federal involvement in January 6th was. Well, it's a very good question, and the extent is far more than uh, the feds and the media were willing to admit. The New York Times piece that you mentions, mentioned acknowledges two informants. And look, the New York Times is not out to do Revolver.News any favors or to do you any favors. If the New York Times is covering this, it's because the situation is far worse and there'll be many more informants coming to light in the near future. And I think it's very important to point out that this poses a pretty severe strategic dilemma for the feds and their apparatchiks in the regime media. Because you'll recall that 
Senator Klobuchar, when she posed the question about informants to FBI Director Ray, she did him the courtesy of assuming that there was no visibility into the protest because they had no informants. You see, if they had informants, that would have meant they were informed as to what would transpire. And then the question is, why didn't you do anything to stop it? Now that we know they have informants, the question re-presents itself, why didn't they do anything to stop it? And I think this explains an interesting amount of sort of mixed messaging that we're seeing recently from the regime media coverage of this. You'll see that the, um, basically the feds are using their sources in the media to present this new narrative that, you know what, actually there wasn't foreplanning. Actually, it wasn't this conspiracy in advance. It was more of a spontaneous outburst. The reason you're seeing this transition in the narrative is that if there was no foreplanning on the part of the so-called insurrectionists, that means there could have been no foreknowledge on the part of the feds, and they're absolved from suspicion as to why, if they knew about it, they didn't do anything to stop it. But the real beauty part about this is that even as this narrative shift protects the downside for the feds from that type of exposure, it completely blows up another foundational pillar of the official narrative 1-6, which is that it was a conspiracy, which it was this pre-planned attack that was set up in advance, and that's why it's like 9-11. It's the basis of the prosecution of all of the militia groups, essentially, associated with 1-6, and furthermore, it's the basis of the entire 1-6 commission. So they're really stuck in a bind. Either the FBI has to address new questions of why, if they had a bunch of informants and they were presumably informed they didn't stop it or why this whole narrative that they've been telling us about a conspiracy that was pre-planned that serves as the basis of multiple high-level prosecutions and the commission itself why that was false it's either one or the other that's right and either way they are lying and the effect is to strip law-abiding patriotic americans of their civil liberties and that yeah so that's the situation right they're, they're caught in a lie. Now, I talked to you about truth at the beginning of the show. Now, I said when January 6th happened, when the election was stolen, I said we proved that Fast and Furious happened. They said it was a lie, is a conspiracy. We proved that Benghazi happened. They said, oh, it was a conspiracy, it was a lie. We proved that the IRS targeted Tea Party. I was the one of the lead plaintiffs. We won both cases. We won $3.2 million and got the IRS to admit that they targeted the Tea Party. We said that Hillary Clinton's uh, emails were, were illegal and that she was making deals with foreign governments. That's been proven. We proved Russia, Russia, Russia was a lie. And we'll talk more about that with Durham doing some more things later in the show. We talked about the election being stolen. We've talked about, you know, Flynn was innocent. We all these things. We have been right. This is all propaganda that it was an insurrection. This it's all lies. History will show that we proved that it was the election was stolen, and history will show that this was no insurrection. It was set up by our federal government to entrap us for political reasons. And the person who's in trouble with this is Nancy Pelosi. You want to talk about a conspiracy? 
How about a conspiracy to let people into the Capitol, to not bring the National Guard or not bring enough police when they were asked to? Who's the criminal? Yeah, we know the criminal is. And you want proof? So, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're just saying it because you're a partisan and all that stuff. We don't deal in partisan ideology. We deal in the truth. We look ourselves in the mirror every day and don't lie to ourselves. We don't make ourselves feel good by lying. We aren't about feeling good. We're about finding the truth and doing right. Okay? So here's the proof. Greg Kelly has this video on Newsmax Friday night. Very powerful. Here's your proof. So, so at this point, they're affecting an arrest. And we saw that the guy was breaking the glass. And quite frankly, I don't have a problem with that. You're not supposed to break things, certainly not at Capitol Hill. So he's arrested. Then something else happened. First of all, do you concur with that? That's all, that's all, yep, absolutely. all, all good, right? Absolutely. All right. Next, we see the police officers guarding essentially both the arrest and the window. And then they walk off. Take that full, if you don't mind. They're okay. At this point, away. I had just reached the top of the Capitol steps just a few minutes earlier, and I had very little battery power on my camera, so I, I didn't record the order for them to displace. But I did turn my camera on and catch them leaving the window. You can see it right there. And the, the window the has been broken, and the, there's a mob beating down the doors, the 30 feet away. It, they, if anybody had gone through that window they would have ended up in the Senate side, just like where Ashley Babbitt was on the House side. All right, Bob, like, now, now here's the deal. They've walked away. There were people who were shouting, we're gonna go through that window. And even with that, they walked away. And then a very suspicious figure, after the cops leave, starts to make a bigger hole in the window. Take a look. Freeze it right there. Let's hold it right there. What can you tell us about that guy in the black who happens to have an earpiece in? Bob, you were about there. You're up close. What do you think? Of, who is this guy? Well, about a minute and a half earlier, he had asked me, why don't you guys open up the rest of it and go on inside? And I replied, because that's probably illegal. Okay, brother, you and I are, are both Marines. We swore, swore the same oath. Nobody is going to go through a broken window at the United States Capitol during a riot on my watch. So this guy pulls out the window. Uh, and if a guy tries to rush in, and I get in there with my camera, you can see uh, if you roll that tape, that clip, I get in the way of Mr. Antifa. And uh, then this guy... You, in the, wait, in wait, the wait, black, wait. You, you, called him, you called him Mr. Antifa. Antifa. You think not he's him. A, you think not he's, this guy. All right, this who? guy is a federal agent. You sure about that? How do you know? I'm because I have been after the FBI for the last nine months. I have been calling them. I have been emailing them. Sir, I appreciate them. that. Bob, do me a favor, though, and I'm on your side here, but I want to know okay. specifically, how do you know this guy is a government agent? I provided the FBI with 29 minutes of high-definition footage of this and this man and another man. Not a single screenshot or frame of video has appeared on any of the FBI's websites where they're looking for people to identify. Hey, listen, circumstantially, this does not look good, and I'm not discounting the possibility, but we don't have, 
we don't we don't have certainty, right? Well, they haven't called me to ask for an interview either. They've arrested everybody that was in <laughs> a mile of the Capitol Hill right. of Capitol Hill that day, and they refused to call me back. I find that very strange. Very strange, Bob. Now, tell us what happens in the rest of this. Well, actually, let's watch it, and I want to see who's saying who, who's saying what, and somebody gets pushed. Take a look. Do not go in there. That was my. Let's stop it right there. Do okay, not that, go in there. Who says that? was my that? voice. That was my voice. And you can see the motion of my camera as I move to intercept. Now, as soon as the guy in the black sees my press helmet and realizes that I'm recording him, he does a complete 180. Instead of pulling out the glass and telling people to go inside, he's pushing people away because he knows that he's been caught. And Greg, 30 seconds after he gets in the scuffle with that kid, he melts off into the crowd, never to be seen again. So there you have it, folks. This guy is trying to encourage people to go into the Capitol. Our people are stopping him, right? This guy should be charged. Yeah. And, and he will be charged because the evidence is there. You can't hide. All right. But the fact of the matter is, is that their whole case is falling apart. And we, the thanks to you, all you people who work so hard, this Bob Powell guy is a patriot, right? And, and we're, the evidence is there. When the 14,000 hours of video finally is out and it's starting to come out now because legally they can't keep it. You know what we're going to find? We're going to find what we've always found. A corrupt FBI, a corrupt government, corrupt Congress, corrupt leadership, corrupt media, and patriotic American people. That's what you're going to find. That's why we're defending the political prisoners who are still being held. Because if we don't stand for them, who will stand for us? This is how you stand up and fight back. You don't let the narrative sit. So what do you got to do? I'm going to put this video on our website, okay? And if you go to the podcast page, that little yellow button on the front page at WeThePeopleConvention.org, when you go to the podcast page, I list all the stories I cover. And I'll list that video and I'll have a link to it. You need to share that with everyone you know, even the people who don't like us, even the people who don't trust us. Send it out to everyone because that's the truth. There's the evidence. And there's a ton more we've just begun. All right. Now, let's move on to the other really, really, really big story of the week. I'm so proud of all you guys. I sent out a message on Monday. It's called to action. Call your congressman now to stop the Pelosi, uh, you know, it stop Pelosi in her tracks. And you did. You thousands and thousands of calls were made from all over the United States to our House members, to our senators, to Joe Manchin, to Cinema. I put this up, you know, on, on our webpage. I listed, you know, all the the people that were voting for it. Seven bloody Republicans were going to vote for this three point five trillion dollar, you know, social, you know, uh, in, you know restructuring bill and the one point five trillion dollar, yeah, human infrastructure. BS bill. Okay. And 
And the Democrats are in disarray. And as I record this on Saturday morning, October 2nd, they never did get to vote on these bills because there's two factions in the Democrat side. There are the nutjob OACs, uh, uh, you know, leftists who wanted, who are trying to force the takeover of the Democratic Party, who want both bills, the 1.5 and the 3.5, passed together as one vote. Okay. Then there are the so-called moderates, these 25 Democrats who are in areas that Trump won, okay, who are afraid of losing their jobs. And they're saying, we're going to vote on the Senate infrastructure bill, but we don't even want to talk about this $3.5 trillion bill, okay? So they're fighting each other, and they, they wouldn't give in. Then you got Joe Manson and Cinema, the senator from Arizona, who are both, quote-unquote, Democrats, who are basically saying... I'm not for any of this stuff. And and remember, they can't get this through the House if they don't get every Democrat to vote for it. Okay, excuse me, through the Senate. Now, in the House, they only have a three-vote majority. All right? So it's very close. And, and so if Pelosi had the votes, they would have voted. But you guys were calling all over to every one of these people. And if you go to our website, you'll see this, the page, you'll see the list. Keep calling them next week because, again, the left never stops, right? They never stop. But a big tell was that Joe Manchin finally came out. Now, remember, they're asking for $3.5 trillion to basically what? To destroy capitalism, to attack your businesses. If you go to, to that webpage, you'll see a link that says what's in this heinous bill, okay? It's horrible what's in this bill. It is a bill that basically makes us a socialist country. Okay. It's the $3.5 trillion is to pay people not to work and become dependent on the government. That's what it's about. The 1.5 trillion, only 24% of it goes to infrastructure. The rest of the money is for what? To pay leftist operatives to continue to do their destruction in our schools, in our cities for the 2022 and 24, 24 election. That's what it's for. That's what the money's for. They're stealing your tax money to pay their operatives to destroy our country and your freedom. Okay? The Joe Manchin came out and said, when they finally pushed him on Friday, or Thursday, I think it was, he said, I will only go for $1.5 trillion instead of the $3.5 trillion. Wow, okay? That was a shocker, but $1.5 trillion is still a lot of money, okay? But it'd be better than $3.5. But we got, we got to get the Republicans to fight this. We don't want either of these to pass, the infrastructure bill or the, uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote budget. So keep calling Keep after, and I, even if you have Democratic senators and congressmen, go to that page. You'll call your congressman now. Go to that page on WeThePeopleConvention.org, and I explain to you that we're, what we're trying to do when we call the Democrats is to encourage them to keep fighting each other, okay? So if we don't agree with them, they want to vote for parts of this. We don't want any of it, but we don't want them to compromise. So we want to egg them on, Okay psychological warfare. That's what they do to us all the time, as you'll see here in this next story. So the other story is the debt ceiling, okay? And, you know, you and I have been, you know, through this so many times where, oh, they spend like drunken sailors. 
Then they have to raise the debt ceiling so they can borrow more money to pay for the programs that we don't want, that don't benefit us, that they stole our money. Okay. And then they come out and they, and they tell you, if you don't raise the debt ceiling, Armageddon is coming. Okay. Literally, Armageddon is coming. So there's a story, you know, a guy wrote an op-ed about the, the fear mongering about the death, uh, the debt ceiling. And it's just an insult to all Americans. Failure to raise the federal debt ceiling limit could royal the financial markets and cause severe economic problems, cause profound damage to our country and have dire consequences. So wrote the Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, New York Times. But that was in 1995, not 2021. Our country would likely face a financial crisis and economic recession, Biden administration Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen screamed and warned the Senate Banking Committee on Tuesday. Hysterically, that was this year. This was this week, okay, on Tuesday. No, uh, in retrospect, it's not surprising. Default only occurs if the government stops paying interest on the money that it owes. Not increasing the debt ceiling only means that the government is forbidden from borrowing more money and that spending is limited, get this, to the revenue the government brings in. Yeah, like kind of like you and I, where our spending is limited to our paycheck, right? Yeah, but they don't want to have that. They want to have unlimited borrowing. And that with interest, and with interest payments on the debt making up only a small fraction of revenue, the interest itself was relatively easy to pay. They're bringing in like $500 billion a month in taxes. Okay. And, and the debt uh, payment is like 58 billion. Okay. So the irony is that the Democrats don't need a single Republican vote to increase the debt ceiling, but Democrats want to massively increase and make Republicans complicit for the resulting debt. See, they don't want to just increase it to cover what, what they're saying is we got to cover the debts we already uh, owe for what we pay, you know, put out there for COVID, right? So we got to raise the debt ceiling to pay those debts. But that's not the Democrats are doing. The Democrats want to raise it ridiculous amount to cover all this 3.5 and 1.5 trillion. And there's another 3 trillion, like eight or 10 trillion. That's what they're trying to do. They're lying. Okay, and it says um, they keep saying that default is Republicans responsibility. I cannot believe that Republicans will let the country default. Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer lied in August, said in August. Yeah, he's a liar. Biden's warnings of Armageddon are just scare tactics. So are Treasury Secretary Yellen's claims of irreparable harm. The Republicans should not raise the debt ceiling, but they will. Because they like to eat the trough too, okay? But they're not going to raise it by as much as, as the Democrats want. And that's really important. So don't believe the lies, okay? I just told you, explained to you, we're not going to default on anything. It's, it's just if we don't raise the debt ceiling, they actually have to live within their means. Our problem is the Republicans aren't going to make them do that, okay? That's our problem. Now, I want to cover one of the things that was important this week because I asked you to act and you did act. And I'm sorry to say we did not have the success I was hoping. As you know, Ohio Congressman Bob Gibbs basically filed a resolution to impeach Joe Biden you know, last week. And only four Republicans signed on to that. I asked all of you to call your congressman and say, 
man, read it. It talks about Afghanistan. It talks about the, you know, the, the uh, uh, you know, CDC being able to say you don't have to pay your, your rent to, to people that have rental properties. And it talks about, uh, uh, the COVID crisis and, and the, and the border. Okay. These are all Joe Biden is breaking U.S. law. He is violating his oath of office. He has committed crimes. Those are crimes. You can't break the law. I can't break the law. Joe Biden's breaking law. His administration's breaking law. Kamala Harris is breaking law by not enforcing the laws of the United States. This is a legitimate resolution to impeach Joe Biden. No, we can't do it now because you need to pass it in the House and in the Senate, and we aren't there yet. But we need to get it ready to, to pass once we take back the House and the Senate, hopefully in 12 or 13 months in 2022. But Republicans won't sign on. They won't sign on. What the hell? I'm asking you again, call your congressman and say, I want you as my representative to sign on to the impeachment resolution. We've got to move the needle on this. I was incredibly disappointed when I heard from the Gibbs people on Friday that they've gotten no help on this from Republicans. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show with a proposal I'm going to make to you that I've been working on. Okay. Now, on to other things. This is a very tough story. Got a lot of press, and there's a lot of pushback, which is good. But Colonel Schneller, who's the uh, Marine who blasted leaders over the Afghan withdrawal, was arrested this week, okay? And, you know, it just shows you know, the frustration we have in this country with people who tell the truth, and they can't, you know, they, they won't do anything about it, but then they want to imprison you for telling the truth. And this is a classic case. Excuse me. Lieutenant Stuart Scheller, the Marine officer whose parents live here in Ohio, whose meteoric rise to internet fandom began with a video criticizing military leadership over Afghanistan, is currently in the brig, his father told the, the media. All our son did is ask the question that everyone was asking. But they were too scared to speak out loud, said Stu Scheller Sr. He was asking for accountability. In fact, I think he even asked for an apology that we made mistakes, but they couldn't do that, which is mind-blowing. His son is suspected to appear before military hearings this week, and they put a gag order on him. Okay? Now, fortunately, you've been, you know, donating to their defense fund. People have been, you know, supporting the family. The family said it's been, you know, really powerful for them to see, you know, the support. Uh, he's in Brad Weinstrip, an Ohio congressman's district. Weinstrip's a veteran. He was a, a military doctor. Um, you know, he's getting behind this. We'll see what happens. Now, I have to tell you that it's not, uh, it, is a, it is really, the way that he did it by doing this video is certainly a problem with military rules, okay? And so, I'm not sure he's going to get off of this because of the way he did it. But the, for all of us, we're like, yeah, thank God somebody spoke out and demanded accountability. The problem is it's not, it shouldn't have been him. It should have been Congress. It should have been the Biden administration. It should have been, you know, the, the, the military taking action 
against the people who were responsible for what? Responsible for this. And this was the other story this week as generals testified in, in the Senate and the House. Okay? Here's the 13 Americans who died, you know, when we botched the withdrawal from Afghanistan. These are the people who paid the price for what Colonel Scheller was saying. Okay? And uh, by, by basically, the testimony this week showed that Biden lied and these, these young people died because of that. That's no longer just an accusation. It's now a fact with Tuesday's Senate testimony shredding President Biden's nonsensical fiction about Afghanistan and confirming that he alone made the fateful decision to create the chaotic and deadly withdrawal. We now know for certain that what was suspected all along, that the president rejected the advice of the top military aides about how to reduce the troop numbers while keeping the Taliban in check. Remember how they always accused Trump of not listening to his generals? Yeah, here's the proof that they always do what they accuse you of doing, okay? Um, let's see here. Uh, he also falsely claimed to the public that al-Qaeda was no longer in Afghanistan and declared the withdrawal a ringing success. Reluctantly but clearly, his camp commanders begged to differ on uh, this week. One by one, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley, and Head of U.S. Central Command General Keith McKenzie said they advised the President either to keep the 2,500 troops in, in uh, to keep 2,500 troops in Cabal or supported the proposal. Okay, all three said Al Qaeda remains in Afghanistan, and as Milley put it, it's still at war with us, and no one dared to call the co the conclusion a success. Okay, so those are the generals flat out saying the President of the United States lied to you, lied to the American people, looked you in the face on the camera and said on, on you know, with Stephanopoulos on that softball interview where he still blew it and said, no, 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 they were split. They didn't advise me that. No one told me that. He's factually a liar. So don't accuse me of being partisan. Joe Biden is proven as a factual liar by this testimony. And you know why that happened? You know why that testimony was that testimony? Because those generals were under oath. Because if they didn't tell the truth, there's records that show what they shared with the president. And if they didn't tell the truth, they would go to prison. That's why they told the truth. See, that's what all happened in Russia, Russia, Russia. See, in testimony under oath behind closed doors, you know because it was a national security problem McCabe and Strzok and Comey and, and uh, uh, the rest of the, the inside mafia of our Justice Department and CIA, Brennan, Susan Rice, they all testified that they had no evidence against Trump and Russia, Russia. But in public and on CNN and MSLSD and, and the networks, they all told a different story because they weren't under oath, the liars that's what we're dealing with. But it's not just us on the right who are now, you know, upset and pushing for, for accountability. And it's not just Colonel Schneller either. Okay. This is an op-ed from a guy from USA Today. Betrayal of trust. Why General Mark Milley must resign as chairman of the joint staffs. Again, this isn't written by me or some, you know, right wing guy. All right. General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, should resign. He went too far in preparing to resist Donald Trump's orders in the closing days of the unstable presidency marked by an attempted coup. The only coup, pal, 
was by you, the media, the Democrats, and General Milley. But this is in USA Today, so I digress. It's, you know, the guy's a liar. Milley prepared his senior officers to slow walk any orders from Trump to use nuclear weapons or start a military confrontation with China, according to a new book by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa of the Washington Post. That's an appalling step towards shredding civilian call control over the military, a bedrock constitutional value the chairman has sworn to uphold. But Milley went even further in reassuring his Chinese counterparts that no attack was coming from the United States. Milley promised to call and warn of an impending U.S. attack if Trump ordered one. Such a call would have inevitably cost the lives of American troops tasked with following the orders of the lawful commander-in-chief. Milley's effort to thwart the potential demands of an unhinged president, yeah, USA Today, who's unhinged? Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Who's unhinged? Yeah, liars, okay? Became a betrayal of the men and women he commands. No leader can make such a promise and retain the support of his military personnel he oversees. The Army knows this because this idea is at the center of leadership training for officers. First among the Army values is loyalty to the Constitution, your unit, and other soldiers. Fourth is selfish, selfless service. Put the welfare of your subordinates before your own. Suggesting that the nation's highest-ranking military officer resign is not something I take lightly. Even so, one thing a soldier can never betray and retain control is his fellow service members. Milley promised a communist dictatorship just that. He must go. If he doesn't resign on his own, President Joe Biden should show him the door. David Mastio is an opinion writer for USA Today. The left gets it. The left gets it. Milley was asked if he would resign. He said no. Right? So now, Biden going to fire him? Probably not, because there is no accountability. Because Milley is doing what Biden wants. He's undermining our military. And we're going to talk about that in, in the next half of the show. But we're going to take a, a quick break right now. Uh, you are watching the We the People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. And my name is Tom Zawistowski. And we'll be back in the second half in just a minute. The We the People Convention News and Opinion Radio Program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. All right, and we're back, and we hope that you enjoyed the first part of the uh, the podcast and that you will share that. We hope that you will act on the things we asked you to do. Call your congressman and say, vote no on this $3.5 trillion and this $1.5 trillion. We've got to stop the left, and we have a chance to do that, and don't let Republicans tell you any different, okay? They can stop it they if they want to, but they, they are, they're weasels, so don't let them off the hook. All right. And then we also want you to, you know, to talk to them about, you know, demanding that Millie resign. He needs to resign because, you know, I just gave you the evidence. The guy undermined his, his, he violated, you know, the, the codes of the military. He, he betrayed the president of the United States. He, he did a coup attempt. That's what he did. Um, and again, I want to remind you all that when you go to the podcast page at we the people convention.org, 
You can, you know, the yellow, yellow button, you'll come to the page where the player is and all the instructions on how to listen and watch it. And then there's links to all these stories. Go there, click on the links, or more importantly, fast forward through the podcast because you'll see on the screen here, the times of the stories are listed. So you don't have to listen to the whole podcast at one time. You can listen to part of it. Go to the sections you're interested. Just scroll ahead, okay? Use those tools because I work hard to put those out there for you. All right, now on to COVID madness. And, and I put this out to you early this week and it got a ton, thousands and thousands and thousands of views, okay? Because we're losing perspective. And this is about a Gallup poll that came out, all right? Uh, Gallup poll shows most Americans wildly overest COVID hospitalization risk and is the media to blame. The poll involving 3,158 Americans tells us that 41% of Democrats believe the unvaccinated have a 50% chance of being hospitalized because of COVID. Independents believe the correct number is 26%, while Republicans believe, 22% of Republicans believe that if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID, 50% of you will have to go to the hospital. The correct answer is fewer then 1% of unvaccinated people infected with COVID will have to go to the hospital. There, here's the chart again. Look at that. Okay? We are completely wrong. We are overblowing this beyond belief. Okay? So here's the real statistics. Hospitalization rates for both vaccinated and unvaccinated COVID patients is under 1%. So even COVID people that have the vaccine and unvaccinated people it's still under 1%. The hospitalization rate for vaccinated COVID patients is 0.01%. For unvaccinated COVID patients, it's 0.89%. So it is higher for unvaccinated people, but it's still tiny, okay? They're lying to us. They're trying to scare you. Every story is on the TV is hysterical about the hospitals are overflowing and all this stuff. It's just not true. There was a story in our local news this uh, week that just made me so angry. I mean, I, I usually, you know, I know a lot of people throw their shoes at the TV and swear at the TV, and I really don't do that very often, but I did this time because this woman got on our TV in, in Cleveland, Ohio, and told the public that there is a disaster that the, the, the uh, hospitals nationwide are overwhelmed with children, with COVID, with children. And then she's mentioned that there's 250 children in the country hospitalized. 250! And she's, and then, they, but their story was that Ohio is in the top, you know, is second most children with COVID in the hospital. Second most! And then they said 250 around the country. They never gave the number for Ohio. What's, what is it going to be? 15? 20? How is that an unbelievable mercy? There's 20 kids in the hospital right now from falling off of swing sets with all kinds of other diseases. They're lying to you. And it's just so outrageous that the, that the people who don't know any better, this woman was a propagandist. She sold the lie. You would have thought 
that 50% of the children are in danger of dying of COVID. Oh my gosh. And here's a chart that they're hiding from you the most. And I'll tell you what, I tried to find this chart. You can't believe how long it took. I, I was searching on a simple thing. COVID deaths in the U.S. by month. COVID deaths in the U.S. by month. What's so hard about that? I finally found this chart after about, I don't know, 20 minutes. You couldn't find this. So look at the very, very far end of it. What do you see? The deaths are down. The deaths are almost as down as low as the start of this. And this only goes till August. In September, they're down more. And they're saying 688,000 have died of COVID in the U.S. And it's actually now they're talking about 700,000. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know that is just a lie. It's just a lie. That's a fact. Because they're counting everything as a COVID death. There's this, we want the number of people who died from COVID. It's not 200,000. And I showed you the, the chart last week about flu deaths and flus, I mean, flu in the United States and how, oh, what a miracle. Last year there was no flu. Well, like 100,000 people die a year from the flu, mostly seniors. Wow, that sounds kind of like COVID. Yeah. We must find that truth. And, and I don't know how we're going to get there. I told you I was working on a letter to our state auditor. I didn't get it done this week. But we need an audit. We need someone to audit the death certificates for every one of these deaths and the hospitals that took money because it was a COVID patient when they died in a car wreck or they, you know, they had a heart attack and then they tested for COVID. We want our money back. And man, we want our country back and we want truth back. Because the fact of the matter is, this is not even a, a world-class disease like the, the Spanish flu or even the swine flu. It's, it's real simple. Your survival rate is off the charts. And then, then I put this up. And, and you guys, you know, I, I, I knew about this. And I know this attorney, okay, I, he's from Ohio. His name is Tom Renz. I've never talked to them to him, I believe. I might have been on a conference call that he was on. But he's been in Ohio uh, filing lawsuits against Mike DeWine, our governor, since the, you know, the, the, the you know, end of 2020 about, you know, the mass mandates and the, and the business closures and all that. He put this video up and I put it on our website. So you can see attorney claims 48,465 have died within 14 days of getting the COVID vaccine. That video is on our website. Now, he claims to have a whistleblower and to be looking at an official government website with these claims. Now, remember, they're telling you, oh, the VARS database is voluntary, so you can't believe the, you know, the reports there of side effects. But you and I know, just from talking to our family, friends, and relatives, that there's been incredible side effects from taking the vaccine. But this was stunning. And let me just read a little bit about it. In a shocking video, attorney Tom Renz of Ohio says that the data from the Medicare tracking system reveals 48,465 people have died within 14 days of receiving the COVID vaccine. 
He also claims that vaccinated people who get COVID are treated with Invector, um, uh, Invermectin, okay, in hospital. So people who are vaccinated get Invermectin, while unvaccinated people get uh, getting treated for COVID with Remdesivir, which is causing kidney failure. And that's a serious charm. Thanks to a whistleblower that came forth to Attorney Tom Renz, the public is now seeing for the first time ever hard data from the largest largest database available in the U.S. to study the COVID-19 impact, including deaths and injuries. The CMS Medicare tracking system. During an extraordinary speech at Clay's Clark's Reawaking America tour, which was televised by One America News in Colorado Springs, Attorney Thomas Wren shocked the crowd of thousands in attendance and millions watching via live stream as he revealed. The data from the Medicare tracking system reveals that 19,400 people less than 80 have died within 14 days of taking a COVID vaccine. In addition, 28,065 people have died that are over the age of 80 within 14 days of taking the vaccine. The total number of Americans that died within 14 days of receiving the COVID vaccine is 48,465, according to hard data revealed in the Medicare tracking system. Wow, that's serious stuff, okay? And I don't know that I doubt that it's true because we know they're covering up. And in the Project Veritas videos that I put on the website that you saw last week, the nurses actually said, "We they won't let us report that these people are dying. They won't let us report the side effects. Okay? So we know the government is saying, oh, you can't trust theirs, so fix it. Put it out and say, every doctor must report any side effects and make a database that is right. Why don't you do that? Because you don't want the truth known. And so it's up to people like whistleblowers to tell Attorney Renz this stuff. It's outrageous. The medical system is imploding. They've lost their, their oath. Do no harm. They've lost their integrity. It's a disaster. It's terrible. So you can watch that video and then share it. But it's pretty serious stuff. I'll tell you another video that's on our website that was awesome. Watch this NBA player explain why he isn't getting the vaccine. This young man was so calm, so just articulate, and just so logical. And basically, his message was real clear. I don't need to get the vaccine because I already had COVID. And I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a superior athlete. In an age group in the in the 20s that says I don't have any danger from this disease. And the vaccine, however unlikely it may be, could give me side effects that could hurt me. Who wouldn't decide what he decided to do? You're gonna want to watch this and share it. It's it's real short, but it's just another great video. Okay. And I'm, I'm kind of beating you to death this week with videos, but there were some good videos. And I, I know you appreciate the video of Tucker and the guy from uh, Revolver News about the January 6th. And then obviously the, the Greg Kelly you know, video with the video from January 6th. So, you know, I don't, I don't just show you videos because I'm trying to fill time because I know I'm trying to keep the podcasts shorter, you know, because I know they're getting really long. But this, this video, I just want you to see a clip. Now, this is going to be on our website as well, okay? But this is Senator Rand Paul defending you and me and everyone. you got to love this guy. Watch this. 
with an Israeli study that had uh, 2.5 million patients and found that the vaccinated group was actually seven times more likely to get infected with COVID than the people who had gotten COVID naturally? Senator, I'd have to get back to you on that one. I'm not familiar with that study. Well, you think you might want to be if you're going to travel the country insulting the uh, millions of Americans, including NBA star Jonathan Isaac, who have had COVID, recovered, look at a study with 2.5 million people and say, well, you know what? It looks like my immunity is as good as a vaccine or not. And in a free country, maybe I ought to be able to make that decision. Instead, you've chosen to travel the country calling people like Jonathan Isaac and others, myself included, flat earthers. We find that very insulting, goes against the science. Are you a doctor or a medical doctor? I've worked uh, over 30 um, years on health so policy. You're, you're not a medical doctor. Do you have a science degree? And yet you travel the country calling people flat earthers who have had COVID, looked at studies of millions of people, and made their own personal decision that their immunity they naturally acquired is sufficient. But you presume somehow to tell over 100 million Americans who have survived COVID, that we have no right to determine our own medical care. You alone are on high and you've made these decisions, a lawyer with no scientific background, no medical degree. This is an arrogance coupled with an authoritarianism that is unseemly and un-American. Yeah, that's how you do it, Rand Paul. This guy's a lawyer making medical decisions for you. Now, I, th there's, that's a longer video and he really gets after this guy because they're wrong. This, you know, the natural immunity is real. It's better than get, getting the vaccine. So why are they burying it? Thank God for Rand Paul. And you've got to question your doctor. You've got to make them explain to you why natural immunity isn't good enough. Why do you have to get the vaccine? This is what's so crazy about this. And, and, and then you got, you got, uh, Merck comes out this week, just yesterday, I think it was Friday. Merck says its new COVID pill reduces the risk of hospitalization and deaths by half for some patients, okay? So I told you last week about Villanova University had found something that sounded promising, okay? But then this comes out. A phase three trial of Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics oral antiviral treatment Molnopiravir showed it reduces the risk of hospitalization or death by around 50% in COVID patients. Merck plans to seek emergency use authorization in the U.S. and submit marketing applications to other global drug regulators. If authorized by regulatory bodies, Molnopiravir could be the first oral antiviral medicine for COVID. Bull crap. Ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. We're already there. Why this? Why are they going to promote this? Why won't they let you get that? Right? That's the problem. You know what? 50% reduces your chance of being hospitalized or death by 50 cents. 50%. Here's a little factoid for you. You know what also does that? Aspirin. Go research that. They have found that taking aspirin reduces your chance of hospitalization by 50%. Taking hydroxychloroquine and, and ivermectin reduces it by like 83%. Oh, but we don't want any of those drugs, right? Because it's horse medicine. Yeah, horse hockey. 
It's not, they can't make money off of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because it's cheap and it's been around for 40 years. But a new Merck drug? Oh yeah, baby. Let's get our government to steal money from us to buy billions of doses of that crap, right? And so I've, I've talked to you, you know, and we've all talked among each other. I know you're all getting all kinds of information and I'm not, you know, it's too much. I can't be focused just in that one area. I try to give you what I think is important. But we've talked about you should all be taking vitamin D3. You should all be taking zinc. You should all be taking vitamin C. Okay. I came to my attention this week, and many of you know this, which shows that I'm not the expert. But this is a drug that I was told about that is like a natural version of ivermectin. It's called quercetin. Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. Okay. I found it hard to get, but I found it over the counter at a vitamin store in our area. And, and if you start feeling sick, you should be taking that. Okay. Get some, have it in a medicine chest, just like you have aspirin and, and Excedrin or whatever other Benadryl that you have for, you know, if you get a bee sting or whatever, right? Be prepared because this is nuts what they're doing. You can't trust anyone in our government or in our medical institutions because they're proven liars. I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't true. But the evidence is there if you look. And they can call us flat earthers, just like Rand Paul said, except Rand Paul proved he was a liar. People calling you flat earthers are political apparatchiks, not not doctors, not scientists. They're professional liars. If we don't stand up and I know the pressure is on the New York Times. I saw a piece of crap article in the New York Times talking about, well, you know, the hospitals in New York, which don't have enough nurses anyway, are laying off like 460 nurses who won't take the vaccine. But that's okay because it's for the greater good, right? Because we got to protect the patients and, and the staff, you know, and, and from these people who won't go along and get the vaccine. Okay? It's okay. We can do that. No, it's not okay. You're destroying people's liberty, okay? that's It's a right, and that basketball player does a great job of explaining that it's our right, all right? But if we don't fight this, folks, we're Australia. And, and, and let me just say, Australia, if you're not paying attention, go online and look and watch some of the videos about Australia. It has turned into a literally a totalitarian hellhole. They are literally tacking, t- macing, and tackling and handcuffing 14-year-olds in the streets. They, they arrested a guy who was a block from his house because he's not allowed to be out, don't you know? And you know what? Despite helicopters flying over and saying, get back in your house, and the riot police beating their citizens, they're in lockdown as in China lockdown prison type lockdown yeah they're having a big spike in covid but you know what their big spike is 23 people you're locking down a nation of free people with that little danger you're unhinged you've lost your mind the prime minister of of, or the medical director i can't remember which of australia said that the only thing you can believe is what the government tells you. How's that for a 1984 uh, moment? She actually said those words, that only what we tell you is true, except we just proved in the last five segments 
that everything they're telling you is not true. The masks don't work. The lockdowns don't work. The six-foot distancing doesn't work. Surfaces don't conduct the, the thing. The vaccines haven't worked, have they? If they work, what are you afraid of from the unvaccinated? Right? Ivermectin works. Hydroxychloroquine works. They're wrong, and they're looking in the camera and telling you, you're wrong. That's totalitarianism. If Trump were president still, I would be calling for the U.S. military to invade Australia to, Australia to take their country back, to free a people that has been just totally imprisoned by their government. I'd be... I'd be dropping military planes, dropping weapons to the citizens of Australia because they're in this situation because they were dumb enough to give up their guns. That's why they're in this situation. This is a tragedy for the West, for Western civilization, to have a country like Australia who has our same beliefs and supposedly has freedom and liberty and prosperity to have a tyrannical government lock them up for a disease that doesn't kill more than 3% of the elderly and less than 1% of everyone else. Are you insane? The answer is yes, they are insane. Yes, our government is insane. Yes, all those nutbags you see wearing their masks are insane. They are mentally ill. Never forget that. Stand for truth or lose everything. Lose everything. That's what's happening in Australia, folks. That's what's going on in Australia. They're losing everything. Okay, now, last week I, I talked to you about, um, you know, the, the, the FBI and, and the, uh, let me see, I got to find my source here, okay. Okay, I talked to you about the uh, China, you know, in, in, in having a crisis in that I think it's going to move them to war. But I also told you that they are counting on the Biden administration to help them get the ability to take Taiwan and to, de and to declare war. And, and basically, Joe Biden is proving to be Neville Chamberlain. Two big things happened this week. One was after a phone call with Xi from China, within days, Joe Biden gives up the Huawei executive, the Huawei executive, okay? Her name was, uh, let's see, Huawei, the uh, letter comes days after the DOJ struck a deal with Huawei Chief Financial Officer Meng Wanzhou, allowing her to return to China nearly three years after the executive was arrested in Canada at the request of U.S. prosecutors who had accused Meng of lying to the HSBC, causing the bank to violate U.S. sanctions on Iran. The deal which paved the way for the release of two Canadians held in China has similarly prompted Republican lawmakers to question the Biden administration's approach to confronting threats posed by the Chinese party. So Joe Biden just gave back a criminal that we were going to prosecute because Huawei is using 5G technology to take over the undeveloped world in Africa and stuff. And we gave this person back to get two Canadian hostages. But here's what else happened, okay? Lawmakers demanded that the DOJ explain dropping the case against Chinese researchers accused of hiding military ties, okay? In this article, let's see here. 
Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, has asked Attorney General Merrick Carlin to explain why prosecutors have dropped a series of cases connected with the Justice Department's crackdown on Chinese espionage. In July, federal prosecutors filed a motion to dismiss charges against six Chinese researchers who worked at U.S. institutions who have been accused of hiding their ties to Chinese institutions or the Chinese military. The DOJ said at the time that recent developments, meaning the election of Joe Biden, in those cases had prompted the department to reevaluate those prosecutions, stating that the dismissals were made in the interest of justice. What does that mean? Well, however, other reports have suggested that the decision to drop the charges was due to other reasons, such as the FBI's failure to properly inform the accused of their rights against self-incrimination. Jordan wrote to Garland a letter along with Republican Andy Biggs of Arizona dated September 27th. The FBI screwed up. They didn't read them their rights, and now they're going to let them go. How is that not appeasement? These people were at U.S. universities stealing research, scientific research that our military uses and giving it to the Chinese and the Biden administration just let them go along with that Huawei person. And so that's why Howie Carr, who you know many of you see on TV and stuff, he's a pretty colorful guy, called to abolish the FBI. He said, I saw a headline this week in the Wall Street Journal that made my day. Abolish the FBI. The reason I was so pleased was because above my column in the newspaper on January 24th, 2018, was a headline, Scandal-Ridden FBI Must Be Abolished. Is there an echo in here, Carr said? All I can say is what took everyone else so long to realize how rotten the core to the core, the famous but incompetent G-men, FBI, famous but incompetent G-men have become and actually have been more than half a century from now. As the journal noted, the FBI's latest sustained good run of publicity came more than 50 years ago thanks to Ephraim Zemlis Jr. and his weekly show on ABC, The FBI, which went off the air in 1974. Even by dismal modern FBI standards, though, the news just keeps getting worse and worse. Last week, one of Hillary Clinton's lawyers was indicted by Russia collusion hoax specialist, special counsel John Durham. The Democratic operative was charged with lying to James Comey briefer about one of the largely forgotten ties to the Russian hoax, Affle Bank secret servers, which of course didn't exact, exist except in the fervent imaginations of far-left Democrats and their stenographers in the media. Durham has been taking his own sweet time bringing these corrupt deep state bad actors to justice, but better late than never. He knows a lot about how deep the corruption runs. He first brought down Whitey's FBI hitman, Zip Connolly. Whitey Bulger was a, a, a FBI a mob guy. The latest indictment came only days after the five-year statute of limitations ran out. Five years. It took that long to bring a single one of these bent Democrats before the bar of justice. But then in this case, as in so many other cases involving the FBI, the cops are the actual criminals. We have called for the FBI to be disbanded, to have the U.S. Marshal Service take over because of this. And we're right to do that. We are right to do that. But this incompetence isn't just incompetence. I think it's intentional. I think it has an agenda, and I think it's a left-wing agenda. Go, go all the way back, okay, to the, you know, the, the, uh, 
the trials in the U.S. for the communists in the government, right? Blacklisted by history. And, and basically what we found was our government was riddled with communists in the State Department particularly, and it still is today. And they are undermining our country to help the Chinese, as you just saw, letting go the Huawei person and letting go these professors or these uh, you know, spies in our universities who are still in our research. So I want to just take a minute now and play this video that uh, I posted on our website last week after I said that we are in danger of war with China because of all this. And so I said it, now you're going to hear Jack Heen say it. To deal with adversarial nations who are destabilizing the world order, China, Russia, and Iran, and also, I think, come straight out and deal with Afghanistan uh, in terms of U.S. commitment and U.S. resolve going, going forward and admit that there had been some mistakes made. But the fact that our allies are sitting there, think about our allies in the in Indo-Pacific region. And I've been out there and talked to many of them. And what they would, they all do business with China. They don't have much choice as a trading partner, but they all look to the United States, Maria, for security. All of them out there to include the lesser countries we don't mention much, like Vietnam and Singapore and Indonesia, but all the major ones do as well. And, and we didn't even address that in terms of the strategic significance and what is the United States plans to deal with China's aggression, as well as Russia yeah. in Eastern Europe and creating their own sphere of influence yep. and what Iran wants to do in the Middle East. That was huge right. lost opportunity. In general, what are your thoughts on what we saw these last two weeks where Chinese warplanes entered the airspace of Taiwan? Yes, very significantly. The, the numbers involved and the frequency of it uh, has outstripped anything we've seen in the past. And it, it clearly is a result of what took place in Afghanistan. I mean, what they're trying to send a message, particularly to the Taiwanese, but also to our other allies in, in the region, is, you know, Chinese might and power in the inevitability of Taiwan actually becoming a part of China, that you cannot resist it. And the United States is not going to be there to help you. That, that's the message they're sending as a result of the disaster in Afghanistan. But it, it portends a dangerous situation. Most analysts who look at this and look at President Xi, and you have to take him at his word because he has a tendency to do what he says. He's very unlike his predecessors because he speaks so much openly and publicly about where he's going strategically. And he has said repeatedly that we are not going to pass the Taiwan problem on to the next generation. We are going to solve this problem during his tenure. And that clearly means yeah. either Taiwan submits willingly or they do something forcefully. And I do believe that the, the, the situation in terms of force being an option is likely getting closer. We all said sometime in the next decade. But here's what's driving Xi also as a backdrop to what's taking place. Number one, he knows yeah, full well sure. he's got economic headwinds, you know, with debt, loss of productivity, demographic problems, and they're going to get worse right. over time. Secondly, increasing global resistance and militaries in the region to include the United States and our allies retooling, yep. getting more capability. That may move that window closer, and that would be unfortunate. General, we sh so, 
there you have it, right? He's, I talked to you last week about the, the big property a management company that, that has 4% of their economy is about to go bankrupt. I talked to you about how the banks are in trouble. I talked to you about how they're running out of workers because of the one child policy. And, and, and so if we don't get our military squared away and ready to fight this, they're going to take advantage of it. You need to be very concerned about it. You need to share that video. It's at wethepeopleconvention.org with all your friends and family. Regardless of their politics, they can watch that and understand this is getting to be a dangerous situation. All right, on to a couple more things as we move towards the end of the show. The border, the border, the border. It, it's just, it's just, it's an invasion. It's intentional. And this is why Joe Biden needs to be impeached. And that's why you need to call your congressman about that. DHS fears up to 400,000 migrants or double the 21-year record set in July could cross the border this month in October when COVID restrictions Trump used to stop the search from Mexico end claims reports claim. Department of Homeland Security is worried that rolling back the Trump-era Title 42 policy would encourage more migrants to come to the border and send members surging in October. Numbers surging in October. Uh, Alejandro Mayorka uh, Moriarty expressed a concern in the phone call with senior Homeland Security officials. Title 42 is expired, set to expire September 30th. Um, and uh, after the lawsuit from the immigration group, but the White House has appealed. DHS announced Wednesday it will try again to end the Trump era remain in Mexico policy. So see, this is what they're doing. They're intentionally opening the borders to these people who are on the, a judge ruled this week that you can you you could make the border agents have to get the COVID vaccine, but you don't have to make illegal immigrants coming into our country that you are now feeding into our cities and states, right? How is this anything but intentional destruction of our country? And we're letting them. And I say, where the hell is Greg Abbott? 19,000 National Guardmen. He's using 1,000 to protect the border. If you're from Texas, if you're from anywhere, start calling Governor Abbott's office and saying, if the federal government won't defend our country, the Constitution gives states the right to protect themselves from invasion. It's within their rights. Block the damn border. My God, man. Abbott calls himself a Republican? Well, prove it. You're surely not a conservative. You're surely not a constitutionalist if you leave 18,000 troops back while your border's being destroyed and you don't finish building the damn wall. You, you, your Senate voted $1.8 billion. Plug the ball with troops and then keep building, baby. Stop this right now. Call Abbott and demand that they stop it right now. If you're in Texas, man, get after it. Act like this guy. DeSantis moves to stop Biden from flooding Florida with illegal aliens for the Biden border crisis. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Tuesday announced new actions that his administration is taking to stop Democrat President Joe Biden from flooding the state with illegal aliens 
from the crisis that Biden created on the U.S.-Mexico border. DeSantis' office announced that the following three actions in a statement. First, Governor DeSantis has issued Executive Order 21223 to prohibit all Florida agencies under the purview of the governor from facilitating illegal immigration into Florida unless otherwise required by federal or state law and required that collection of information from state officials on the scope and costs of illegal immigration uh, in Florida be, be you know, given, you know, documented. Second, Governor DeSantis announced the appointment of Larry Keefe, former U.S. Attorney of the Northern District of Florida, as a public safety czar to ensure the actions directed by the executive order are carried out. So there's an enforcement mechanism. Good job. Finally, Governor DeSantis and Attorney General Moody announced that Florida has filed suit against the Biden administration challenging its cash catch and release policies. DeSantis has previously pressed the Biden administration to provide transparency concerning where they are shipping illegal aliens in the state, but the administration has refused to respond. Remember, he wrote a letter and told Biden that he wants to know by September 30th how many illegals are brought to Florida and where they are. They didn't give him anything. They didn't give him anything. We're at war, ladies and gentlemen. It's a civil war. And it may be what they call a cold civil war right now, but it's heating up because this is real danger to you and me. This is serious stuff, okay? And guys like Ron DeSantis, that's who we need more of. You're going to love this story, and I want to put this in perspective because it was done for a purpose. Always remember that, all right? What are they doing? What is their purpose? Thousands of school board members urged Biden to protect them from heinous acts, okay, heinous threats. Now, I want to say, first of all, look at the name on there. It says Axios. Axios is a total left-wing rag. Anything in Axios might as well be written by Vladimir Putin or, or Chairman Z. okay? They're just commies. That's what Axios is. Don't believe anything they say. So here's this article. Thousands of school board members urged Biden to protect them. A group whose members include 90,000 elected school board officials around the U.S. is asking President Biden, the FBI, and the Secret Service to intervene to protect members who are facing unprecedented threats in, their, uh, in the politically charged climate surrounding debates over COVID-19 and systemic racism. School boards are suddenly dealing with a surge in partisan candidates, recall efforts, and even physical altercations. This request for help comes as many local, nonpartisan officials have been put at the center of public policy disputes around masking protocols in schools and curriculum touching on critical race theory. In a letter today detailing more than 20 examples, oh, what a horrific man! Oh, it's a it's a massive crisis. Call in the FBI and the Secret Service because there's been 20 examples in the whole country, right? There's 548 school districts just in Ohio, but there's 20, okay, examples of violence, harassment, and intimidation. Oh, yeah? National School Board Association President Viola Garcia and Interim Executive Director and CEO Chip Slavin write that the classification of these heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. Don't you know? Right? Don't you know? 
The NSBA is asking for the U.S. Postal Inspection Service to find a mechanism to block threatening letters because, oh my, heaven forbid that you as a taxpayer who has your, your property taxes confiscated to fund these commie indoctrination centers they call schools, heaven forbid that you could write a letter to voice your displeasure, which they define as threatening, right? Like, we're going to vote you out. Yeah, you're allowed to say that. It's called free speech. And cyberbullying, targeting students, school board members, and other educators. He also, the association is also asking the FBI, U.S. Secret Service, and the National Threat Assessment Center for expertise and resources for handling and assessing risks to schools and school boards. And it's asking for the Department of Justice and Homeland Security to examine appropriate enforceable actions against these crimes and acts of violence. Okay, you know what this is? This is a bluff, okay? They're trying to intimidate you because it's working. And this is an Axios because they're a left-wing rag. They're not going to do any of this stuff. Learn from the Justice for J6 rally in Washington when people said, don't go, it's a trap, they're going to arrest you, the FBI is going to gun you down. No, no. We have rights. You have a right to speak at school board meetings. You have a right to write letters. Now, don't be stupid. If you threaten to kill somebody or something, you should go to jail, okay? But threaten to unelect them? How about unelecting them? How about running against them, right? They're trying to throw a brushback pitch against you, man. They're trying to intimidate you. Don't take the bait. They can't do this. There's no laws to stand on. That's why they put this out. That's why the left-wing media ran it. Don't buy the lie. Know when you're being played. Follow the law. Stay within your rights. That's all you need. Believe me, you can vote these people out. Support the people in your community who are running for school board who are on our side about vaxxing and mass and, and you know school and education and critical race theory and the gay transgender agenda, that whole thing. We got to stop this. And it's and I told you last week about how people are, are moving to private education. We need to we need to end there is no public school system in our country. There is not public education. There is only communist indoctrination centers that we pay for that are jobs programs for the criminal left. That's what they are. We need vouchers, money that follows your kid. You should be able to hire your bloody neighbor to teach him if you want, or that you know your uncle who used to be a, a you know a mathematician in in business or a statistician to teach your kid. Okay, doesn't matter who teaches them, just that they learn. We're not getting any learning, but we're sure spending a lot of money, and then we got to stop it. So I thought you'd enjoy me putting that story in perspective. The FBI, the DOJ, oh yeah, like they have all the ability to do this. But you watch, they'll go after a couple school board people protesting school boards and do the January 6th thing on them. You watch, you can't stop. You got to be a patriot. You got to fight them and you will win out. We win in the long run because truth is on our side. Speaking of the long run, here's the long run. Durham issues new subpoenas in probe of FBI Russia investigation targets Clinton campaign law firm. And so we know that he filed a, a you know a subpoena uh, for this uh, 
lawyer Sussman like a week or so ago because he was within days of the statute of limitations running out. So his hand was forced. Now he's filed, uh, you, know, uh, you know, an indictment, a subpoena for documents from this Perkins Coy law firm, which is the center of the whole Russia, Russia scandal. Okay, Perkins Coy is the ones who ran this whole thing for Hillary Clinton. And the Clinton campaign paid them millions to do it. That's where he's going. So we'll see if he gets somewhere. That's pretty good stuff. Got a couple more stories here before I get to some meaty things at the end of the show here. This is on our website. And I bring this to your attention because I, I thought this was really good. Letter from a detransitioned woman demanding the medical establishment treat gender dysphoria with science, not activism. That's a page on our website, wethepeopleconvention.org. Go read this lady's letter. Now, I'm not going to read it all to you, okay? But I just want to read the two paragraphs because it really explains what the problem is here, okay? I'm writing to you on behalf of a group of detransitioned women regarding your fellow, Dr. Jack Turbin, who's considered the, the, the guy behind all the transgenderism by all their activists. He's the guy who pushes it all the time, Okay. We are deeply concerned with Dr. Turbin's disparaging disparagement of psychiatric intervention and exploratory psychotherapy, his singular, singular endorsement of affirmative therapies for people with gender dysphoria, and his dismissive and derogatory treatment of those of us who detransition due to transition regret. We are but a few of many that have been victims of this type of cavalier attitude. We all suffer suffered from gender dysphoria at one point, and some still do. And we were led to believe that our best chance of treating our dysphoria was to medically transition. As it turned out, that was not the case. As a result, we now have to live with bodies and voices that have been irreversibly changed, in some cases damaged by hormones and surgeries, when what we needed was a compassionate and thoughtful exploration of our gender distress through talk therapy through talk therapy some of us will now never be able to have children and many of us live with great distress and regret every day this is a great letter i think you should read it because it puts in perspective that again the left they say you know we're we're against racism and we're for the blacks and what do they do but hurt blacks blm burns down black businesses because they were getting them off the government plantation, right? The Democratic Party enslaves blacks by paying them not to work and therefore not get ahead and be dependent on the government. The same thing is happening with gays, okay, and with trans people. The left says, oh, we're for their rights, but they're destroying them. They're, they're, th these trans people, they needed psychotherapy. They have a medical mental illness, not a physical illness. There is no such thing as, as gender transition. There is no such thing as gender fluidity. But this guy and this, this effort by the left is destroying people. And I want you to see that that's just not coming from me and from you as a conservative who know it's wrong on its face, right? We understand there's only two genders, men and women. That's a truth. We stand on truth. But it's also coming from the people who bought the lie and lived to regret it. Great letter. 
Go read the whole thing and then share it with anyone who doesn't get the memo that this is evil on its face. It's terrible. Okay, we're just about wrapping up. I thought this was a great story. Narrative collapse. British media finally appears to be questioning Biden's U.S. election legitimacy. The American public is slowly waking up to the fact that they have been led by an ineffectual, devious, senile halfwit, said Rob Lytle. Uh, in what is this? In uh, I, I don't know if it's a daily, the Daily Mail or something like that. Rob Lytle writes: Donald Trump is back in the lead in the opinion polls. Imagine how awful a president must be if people, rather than sack that, rather have that sack of meat with mittens, were back in charge than Biden. So again, this guy is not a Trump fan. He's saying that you know Trump's terrible, but he's better than Biden. Soon the public, the American public, will wake up to something even more unpleasant and sinister, that the last presidential election was a fraud, rigged by big business, the labor unions, and more than anything, the media and tech companies, he continues. If that election had taken place in any other country, it would have been called unfree. And as more and more evidence emerges, it terrifies me that the same thing could happen here in England. Okay? Brits call out Biden as illegitimate. You know why? Because he was. We know he was. So that takes us to what? The Arizona uh, you know, audit in the report. Arizona AG demands Maricopa County freeze all 2020 election materials, releases statement on audit. Okay? So this is what the AG said. And we said, you know, and if you go to WeThePeopleConvention.org, there's a really good video of a panel that's looking at what the AZ report showed. With the AZ uh, uh, election uh, you know, uh, audit showed was that there was criminal activity. Files were deleted. Okay, intentional malfeasance. They, you know, they, they, there were over fifty thousand votes cast by people who clearly were illegal. Okay, they were either duplicate votes. They didn't live in the state. They didn't live in the county. They had no right to vote. Trump only lost by ten thousand votes. Fifty thousand were illegal. But what he's doing here is important. He's making sure that they freeze all election materials so he can you know, conduct a criminal investigation. That's exactly what needs to happen, okay? And it's going to happen, and I do think there will be some charges made, all right? Now, I asked you last week to come back to me and say, well, where does that leave us as far as our you know, Trump barn billboard program? Because our signs say you know, that the audits prove that Trump won. Biden and Harris are illegitimate. You will, you will not steal our votes. We will fix the fraud and vote you out. That's, you know, the campaign that we wanted to launch once we had proof from the odds that Trump won. I got a lot of feedback from you all. And if you want to write to me, do so at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. As it stands, the majority of you who wrote to me said you felt that the evidence wasn't strong enough that we had to wait for the AG to file charges or something, and we need to wait for what's going to happen in Georgia and in some of the other states, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to keep it going. So if you want a barn billboard, go to our, our front page. And, and, and I had someone write to me and say, I can't find the barn billboard stuff. It's not on the front page anymore, but, but it is on the front page. Let me show you the front page. So there it is on the front page. The big red button right underneath our logo says our plan to take back our country, right? And, and so click here and you go to our, our page that talks about how to get a billboard. And if, and if you go to that page, 
Okay, I'll get back on that page. So if you go to that page, you, you'll see a green button, the red button. The green button, you can donate to sponsor a billboard or get a sign yourself. I just got mine this week. The signs look beautiful. The yard signs are really nice. So they're two-sided. You know, if you make a donation, you can get a yard sign. Uh, but if you have a location, that's what I need most. I need big buildings like barns, factories, silos, warehouses, uh, along rural interstates, along interstates or, or heavily trafficked roads in rural communities where the left can't use zoning to stop us. I need those locations in all 50 states. Sooner or later, we're going to have to launch this campaign, okay? Because we've got to do the things that we're intending to do the campaign. We still have to convince, okay, the, the Republicans to follow the advice that came out of the Arizona audit, which is here's a list of, of laws you need to pass to make sure the cheating can't happen again. So we've got to fix the election. We've got to get Republicans to do that so that then we can get our people out to vote. So then we can take back our, our government, right? And start to re reclaim our country. So I need locations so we can execute this plan, but we're going to kind of keep doing a kind of a soft rollout right now. Okay. Now, I want to talk to you about a couple more things. Uh, there's a book I read this week and I keep throwing books at you and, and you know, I, I do it because it's important. I'm trying to educate myself. Okay. Let me find that the, the thing here. Here's the name of the book. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence Enemies. And it's by a young man, man named Will Witt who works for PragerU, and you can see his videos at PragerU. And he's he's a really bright young man, and uh, you know he's he started out doing interviews on college campuses. And, and so I got this book because he has a theory, he has a way for you and I to do a better job of convincing people who disagree with us to change their minds. Okay. Now I'm, I'm not going to read the whole book to you. I'm not going to give you the whole story. I'm going to give you one really direct example that I think will help you. But here it is in a nutshell. We need to stop telling people things and we need to start asking them questions that lead them to realize how they don't have a clue and that we're right. His whole thing is to ask questions. And he divides his book into things like racism, uh, COVID, uh, you know, abortion, uh, you know, free speech, all that kind of stuff. And he gives you examples. He gives you questions that you should ask. So let me just give you this one really concise example, okay? Because I think you'll be able to follow it even on the audio, okay? So let me just read this. This is in a section about free speech. He says... Most people are pretty open to new ideas if you ask them the right questions in the right way. When it comes to freedom of speech, the first question I like to ask to get the conservative conversation going is simple. What is hate speech? So he goes to a person, he says, geez, what is hate speech? In an interview I did in Playa Vista, California, asking people about hate speech, I started every interview with this question to get... Um, I started every interview with this question to get a standing on what they believed about it. A girl in particular said it was anything that someone deems as hateful and that it shouldn't be allowed. So what is hate speech? This girl said it is anything that someone deems as hateful and that it should not be allowed. 
I then proceeded to tell her that the answer she just gave me was offensive to me and that I don't think she should be allowed to say it. This confused her at first, but then she understood. I had then deemed what she said to me as hateful, and by her logic, what she said shouldn't be allowed. This was a huge learning moment for her. Who, who should decide what is hate speech and what isn't, I asked her. She didn't have an answer for that. And I concluded the interview by telling her that when someone decides what is and what isn't deemed hate speech, any opinion you may have that is different from the mainstream could be judged as hateful by whoever sets the rules. She left the interview agreeing with me that hate speech should be allowed and that someone shouldn't have the opportunity or shouldn't have the authority to decide what is and what isn't free speech. See how he asked the question and then the person couldn't answer it? So in the abortion section, he'll say, well, what is a baby? When does life start? And get them to talk about it. And then you keep asking questions about, well, geez, you know, science proves that, you know, after they have a heartbeat, do you think things with a heartbeat aren't alive? And, and they start, their argument falls apart. So I'm going to do more on this book later. I, I, I'm halfway through it, just got it the other day, but you might want to pick it up and read it. It's kind of a tool for how we can win the argument, not by arguing, but by asking questions and getting them to argue in their own mind. Does that make sense? I think it makes a lot of sense. And you can also see him at PragerU. And full disclosure, we donate to PragerU. We support PragerU. PragerU is very important to our country. And I hope you will as well. Okay, now, I want to close with something. You know, we've got our barn billboard program. I just talked about that. I've talked about what our, our path to victory is, okay? And and that path to, to path to victory is that we got to, win the house big in 2022, which means we've got to fix the elections first and we got to turn out and it looks more and more like we can win the Senate. Okay. So we've got to win the house and the Senate. And then we got to impeach Joe Biden and, and Kamala, which would make whoever's the house speaker, the president. And then, you know, we can do whatever we want to do with Trump, but mostly we can make changes. But the big problem with all that is like the people who won't sign on, the Republicans won't sign on to the impeachment documents that Congressman Gibbs said. That's our problem. The, the, the problem is the Republicans who want the infrastructure bill, the seven quote-unquote Republicans who want to vote for the $3.5 trillion social engineering plan. Okay? We cannot achieve our goal of taking back our country until we establish that we're at war and we want to elect warriors to fight and win that war for us. So I've talked to you about the fact that I think, and, I've, and some of you have written me some very insightful articles and letters, you know, arguing with me, talking to me about how we could do this, whatever. And I've talked to you about the fact that Donald Trump holds a unique place in history, that he could be George Washington. He's the one that can win the revolution if he just sees himself in a different light. But that's not happening. He's not seeing it. So I kind of think we've got to take a tactic where we try to make this election a binary decision and put him in a position where he has to be with us or give up his future as the thoughts of trying to be president again. 
Now, what I mean by that, I by making it a binary choice, I think that we have to come up with a document. And right now, my gut tells me it can only be like five points. It's kind of like the Newt Gingrich contract with America thing, but simpler, more direct, and quite frankly, more aggressive. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you some examples. I want you to then write to me and tell me what you think these five points are. And here's what the focus is. What are the five things, if you could be ruler for the day, I don't care about what you think is possible or not. Leave that up to me. If you can just, you know, literally have godlike powers and say, I'm stopping things right the way they are and to fix our government, we're going to do these five things because they are what are destroying us. Okay. Now, there's a couple things that are obvious to me. All right. That have to be included in this that that, you know, we have to ask every Republican running for Congress, you know, Senate or U.S. House to say, number one, you must pledge that upon, if we take the House, upon being sworn in in January of 2023, you must vote immediately to hold impeachment hearings of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's just that simple. If you won't make that pledge, you're not a warrior. We can't vote for you. Trump cannot endorse you. And he has to find, we have to find someone else to say, Trump endorsed this person who may not have money or big political chops, but who's with your endorsement will beat this guy. It's a binary choice. I think number two, they have to commit that when they are sworn in, they will vote to defund the FBI to uh, put the U.S. Marshal Service to take over all of the FBI's, you know, uh, you know, services and, and, and things that they do, and that the FBI needs to go away. Number three, the biggest thing that is destroying our country, as you're seeing with this quote-unquote budget bill, right? We have is a thing called rule of order. Our Constitution was set up. So that in Congress, the person who vote you vote for, who you elect to be your congressman, sits on committees in Congress that reviews bills for the budget. In other words, you know, if, if they're, uh, you know, in the, the agriculture committee, they're the ones who are proposing bills and funding for agriculture. And, and that was the process through the most of our history. What's happened now is, they don't do that anymore. They get four people get in the back room, Schumer, Pelosi, McConnell, and Meadows, and they craft a 2,500-page bill in reconciliation, and they give it to your representative and say, vote on it or you know, within 24 hours. That's not representative government. So these, one of the three, the next thing I want to say is that everyone who runs must commit that they will vote to make regular order be put back in place, that no budget can be passed if it doesn't pass out of committees and what passes out of committees has to be the budget and that there is no continuing resolutions. They need to make continuing resolutions illegal. Okay? Now, number four, and again, these are things I'm working on. They're not flushed out. I need your input. 
There's a thing called the Chevron district, the Chevron deference. The Chevron deference has to do with a, a, a case, a legal case that long ago gave Congress the right to make laws that are totally vague and hand them over to government agencies and let unelected bureaucrats decide what Congress meant by that law. That is anti-constitutional. That is why we are in the situation we're in where unelected bureaucrats, who we call the swamp, who are not just in the FBI, DOJ, and CIA, but are in you know the, the, the Treasury Department, the State Department, the Agriculture Department, you know all those departments, that they have powers not granted by the Constitution. We must make these Republicans that we elect them in 2022. They must swear to repeal this Devron, the Chevron deference, and any laws, any rules that have been created by any government agency without direct passage by Congress become null and void. And any government agency that has its own courts and its own police force, those are immediately defunded. That will have a huge effect on the size of our government and the tyranny of our government. Those are the kind of things I'm thinking about. And then, and then you can get into things like a balanced budget amendment. Right? You don't raise the debt ceiling because you don't take on any debt. We've talked about that. Some of you may be interested in, and I think it'd be critical, but I don't know if we could do this as easily as if any of these things I just said to you are easy. But I, you know, I think we need to eliminate income taxes. We have, we have to go to a cons consumption tax. The, the whole tyranny of our government is that they know your income. No one has a right to know your income. They can tax you on what you spend, but then you can control what taxes you pay. But when they tax you on your income, you can't control what taxes you pay. I'll tell you the other thing. Maybe this is number five. All government unions are outlawed in the entire country. School unions, any government union is illegal. The case is clear. It was made by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. The, 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 there is a conflict of interest. Any government union is, is a conflict of interest because the government can't go and search for another union or another you know, party to do the work. Okay? It's illegal. And then, you know, to top it off, who do they you know, answer to? They spend the union dues to elect people who they negotiate for raises. No conflict of interest there. Government unions are gone. I want to come out with this document literally in the next couple weeks, max, maybe next week, and put this out there and have you take it to your congressman and put it out there and say to Donald Trump, here's the people's decision. We want these changes. You cannot endorse anyone that doesn't sign on to this. And if you do, we won't vote for them. Okay? Again, I'm just doing the best I can to try to lead us to victory. I know we have to elect warriors. I know we don't have warriors. How do we separate the wheat from the chaff? How do we get warriors? Well, you find people that'll sign on to this. Then you'll know they're warriors. Okay? All right. I wanted to leave that with you. That's a big thought at the end. I know you're probably hurting. 
You're going to have to go back and look at some of the other things in the podcast. I appreciate you staying on to the end, okay, and and listening to that because I, I think it's really important. And if you have any more comments or stories or whatever, and certainly write to me about what you think these five things should be, send it to info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Info at wethepeopleconvention.org. Okay? I really appreciate hearing from you. Many of the stories in this podcast were from you. That's what we do. We work together to find what? Truth. And then we act to defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. That's what we're doing. Please share this podcast with everyone you know so we can get bigger and stronger and win these fights. Okay? All right. I'm going to wrap it up. You've been listening to the We The People Convention News and Opinion Podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski. I'm sure glad you joined us this week, and I'll be back again next week.